Two weeks ago, uh, Sunday evening, evening service, I had the opportunity to preach from Proverbs chapter 9. And you may recall, if uh, you were worshiping with us that evening, that the preceding chapters, chapters 1 through 8, we hear the voice of a father. How appropriate on this Father's Day. A father is taking his son for a long walk down a path. And this father is counseling his son, listen, my son, my son, do not forget my teaching. Oh, my son, hold fast to what I say to you. Ten fatherly talks that then come to a climactic conclusion in chapter 9. We come to a fork in the road as the son, as it were, listening to the father. Proverbs chapter 9, verses 1 through 6 and 13 through 18. Notice the tug of war. We're caught between two counselors. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has set her table. And she has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him come and hear. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of my wine that I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and she knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling out to those who pass by who are going straight on their way, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Two competing counselors, woman wisdom, dame folly, bidding for the allegiance of our heart, and we are the son who must choose between the two. Let me pray for us. Father, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit working by and working together with this passage and the Proverbs that flow out of it, we pray that you would give us ears to hear, that you would come to the rescue, that you would hold forth the mirror of your law, in order that we might see ourselves clearly and that our foolish words would be exposed and that you would 
draw near, to comfort and renew us in order that we might leave our foolish ways. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. It's the same invitation, isn't it? Verse 4, verse 16, but from the lips of two very different counselors with two radically different intentions. Just by way of reminder, what do these women signify? We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. We said that the key that unlocks the meaning of the text is the location of the houses. Lady Wisdom calls from the highest place in the town. Dame Folly takes her seat on the highest place of the town. And in the ancient Near East, the highest point of the city was the home of the gods. So, we have in view the location of two temples, a fork in the road, Lady Wisdom, a poetic personification of the true and living God who counsels you. And to embrace her is to live. But on the other hand, Dame Folly, a poetic personification of the false gods of the nations who counsels you, and to embrace her leads to death. And so we follow this this thread, this theme of wisdom from the book of Proverbs into the New Testament, and we find that wisdom, woman wisdom, comes to full expression in the person and the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah sees Him coming from a distance. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and his delight will be in the fear of the Lord. And then Luke in his gospel signals that the promise through Isaiah is being fulfilled in Jesus, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. And he says to his parents as they're looking for him in the temple, why why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And Jesus himself interpreted his identity and his messianic activity through the lens of wisdom. Luke chapter 11, to the unbelieving crowds, he rebuked, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, but behold, someone greater than Solomon is here. And to the critics who sized him up wrongly. Jesus replied, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet, Jesus says, wisdom is justified by her deeds. Paul, 
Also, understanding the person and work of Jesus through the lens of wisdom. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, Christ Jesus has become for us wisdom from God. Colossians chapter 2, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so, the rest of the book of Proverbs from this point forward, speaks to a variety of very practical, very down-to-earth matters, especially the way that you and I talk to one another. But the way that you and I talk to one another is anything but ordinary, anything but mundane, because the horizontal speaking reveals our vertical allegiance. Our relationship, what our heart is doing with the Lord, will get expressed in how we speak. There's no neutral ground. All the talk in the world. Is on this side or the other. And we must choose. Will we dine with woman wisdom, that is Christ our wisdom, Or will we dine with Dame Folly, that is, the devil? Next Sunday, I'm going to focus on wise words. This morning, I'm focusing on foolish words in the image of the devil. First of all, words that deceive. Second of all, words that divide. And thirdly and finally, words that demean. Selected Proverbs beyond chapter 9 that focus on and bring to light our foolish words. First of all, words that deceive one another. Consider the nature of the lie and its effect. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 17, an honest witness tells the truth. A false witness tells lies. Think about it. God has created words as gifts, as tools to help us see well and live well in reality, to see and live within the world as it really is. Words are like a pair of eyeglasses through which our mind looks to see what's really going on in front of us. An honest witness tells the truth. By speaking true words, we give our neighbor a clear set of eyeglasses so that our neighbor gets a true vision of the world in front of her, as it really is. But a false witness tells lies. By speaking false words, we give our neighbor a dark set of eyeglasses a foggy set of eyeglasses, a distorted set of eyeglasses, so that our neighbor gets a very false view of the world in front of them, the world as it really isn't. And so, suppose you're talking to someone, and what is the effect of what you say? Proverbs 14, verse 25, a truthful witness saves lives but a false witness is a traitor. You see, the lie harms our neighbor 
in two ways. On the one hand, it misrepresents the past, and so in turn, our neighbor acts on false information. On the other hand, it misrepresents the future, and in turn, the recipient depends on an agreed-upon condition that never materializes. True confessions. I've been married for almost 35 years, and I keep telling my wife, Cindy, I'll be home at 6. But I'm always running late. It's a small example. But she looks through those eyeglasses and she begins to prepare. But she begins to prepare on the basis of a promise that never materializes. And so I'm always sheepishly walking through the door, confessing my sin by giving a false impression. It hurts. That's a small example. I'll leave it to you to imagine the really big examples. Or suppose you're speaking to someone about someone else. What is the effect of what you say? Proverbs 25 verse 18 says, telling lies about others is as harmful as hitting them with an axe. Wow. Wounding them with a sword or shooting them with a sharp arrow. It harms because it misrepresents the person. And in turn, everything else relates to that person on the basis of false information. And so the lie harms people because the lie leads people to live in a fabricated world in which people make choices and take significant actions. Can you think of anything more cruel? This is in the image of Dame Folly. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here, she says. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant, but he does not realize. He does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Hotel California. You can check out any time you'd like, but you can never leave. And the Lord's appraisal and His reward, Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, there are six things the Lord hates. No, seven things. He detests haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, a person who sows discord in a family. And His reward, the Lord says in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 5, a false witness will not go unpunished, and he who breathes out lies will not escape. Words that deceive one another. Foolish words 
in the image of Dame Folly. But there's a second set of words, words that divide one another, two ways of speaking that disrupt relationships. One way is to go directly through the front door, arguing, quarreling. Proverbs 18, verse 6, a fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. Have you ever met anyone who just seems to pick a fight for the sake of picking a fight? Some people just do not seem to be happy unless they're in a fight. And if there is no fight, they'll create one. Consider your tongue. Think of the words that have ushered you into a fight. Husbands and wives. But I especially want to speak to you husbands, you and me because we lead the dance. We lead the conversation. What about those sarcastic words? What about those harsh and critical words? What about those insinuating and blame-shifting words? Them's fighting words. But consider the heart, because it is the heart that wags the tongue. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. What is it that you want? What is it that you crave? What is it that you are living for? I love to be right. I love for you to be wrong. I love to be seen as strong. I love for you to be seen as weak. Proverbs 13, verse 10, pride only brings quarrels. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 3 says, there is madness in our hearts. I remember early in our marriage, we started to get into a quarrel, and I started it, but I could not let it go. And I remember, to this day, I can remember knowing that it was the wise thing, and she was encouraging me to let it go, and walk away. And I knew that was wise. But the insanity in my heart said, keep on plugging. Has that ever happened to you? It's the insanity. It's the madness in our hearts. And out of the fullness of our hearts, our mouth speaks, and we move into the fight, even though we know that it's crazy. I know you're right. I know I'm wrong, but I'm going to put up a fight. And consider the impact. 
not just what comes out of your mouth, not just the heart that drives what comes out of your mouth, but the impact, the ripple effect, the consequences. Proverbs 26, verse 21, as charcoal to embers and as wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. How quickly a fire, how damaging the strife. Proverbs 17, verse 14, starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. So drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. Why do all of the damage? Why hurt your neighbor? Why set back the relationship by years? But when you're living and speaking under the influence of Dame Folly, it leads to this sort of destruction. That's walking directly through the front door. What about walking indirectly through the back door? Gossiping, whispering. Proverbs 18, verse 8, the words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to a man's innermost parts. Consider the words that come out of your mouth. Think of the ways that you have spread a negative report concerning someone else. Many years ago, I was reading an article by a woman by the name of Brenda Payne, and she had some really good examples of this. I don't think that you insert the name will mind if I tell you this. Please don't tell anyone this, but I have a confidential prayer request about, have you heard about, I probably shouldn't tell you this, but I will, I want to tell you something about, but you've got to promise me that you won't repeat it to anyone. What about the heart? that wags the tongue. Look for the condition of the heart beneath those words. A rebellious heart speaks negatively of those that God has placed over us, a parent, a leader, an employer. A bitter heart holds a grudge and rehearses the same old issues, the same old people, seeks revenge by influencing opinions. A discontented heart speaks negatively of those who have more than you, more position, more influence. Do you see, gossip is very tasty to the wafered heart. We love the taste of tending to someone else's business, listening and speaking. And the impact, Proverbs 16, verse 28, a dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. It hurts those that we speak about by revealing matters that are not ours to expose. It hurts those who listen by spoiling their view of others, and it hurts us who speak by damaging our own reputation. I'm a gossiper. Words that divide one another, 
words in the image of Dame Folly, loud, divisive. Finally, not only words that deceive, not only words that divide, but finally words that demean one another. And again, two ways of speaking that disrupt relationships. We could go directly through the front door. What comes out of our mouth? Insulting. To speak to someone so as to make them small. To disparage. To dismiss as not important or impressive. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 12, whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. So, someone says to you, you know, it was great to spend the day at the lake. And you say, yeah, we leave tomorrow to spend a whole week at the beach. You just want to make them feel small. And so your nine-year-old sister says, look at what I can do. And you say, I figured that out when I was seven years old. And then you go to a Bible study and you've noticed that your wife has been sitting for months, coming faithfully, but very quiet and, and not contributing to the conversation. And then one day, she has the courage and the humility to open up and talk about what she's struggling with. And husband, you and I say, that's ridiculous. Why would you ever think like that? We insult. We slander. We speak about someone to someone else so as to damage the person's reputation. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 18. Hiding, hatred, makes you a liar. Slandering others makes you a fool. And so your boss tells you, you know, so-and-so is up for a promotion. And you say, you do know about the problems in their marriage, don't you? The sorts of insults and slanders that come out of our mouth, why? Because the heart wags the tongue. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So look for the thoughts and intentions of your heart. Whether it's insult or slander, the heart beneath the words we speak is the same, demote and destroy. Or we could go indirectly through the back door. Consider the words on your tongue. Flattering to speak better about another person than is warranted. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 28, a lying tongue hates 
its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruin. This is in the image of the promiscuous woman, Dame Folly. Proverbs chapter 7, she seduced him with her pretty speech and enticed him with her flattery. He followed her at once like an ox going to the slaughter. Flattering, but there's also boasting, and that's to speak better about yourself than is warranted. Proverbs chapter 27, let another praise you, and not your own mouth, someone else, and not your own lips. These are the sorts of words that come out of our mouth. And so we look beneath the words for the heart that drives what we say. Remember, the horizontal is expressing a vertical allegiance. Our heart is doing something with God. We're defecting from Him. We're departing. We're breaking the second great commandment against our neighbor because we've first broken the first great commandment against the Lord. The vertical will get expressed in the horizontal. And so we look for the heart beneath the words, and we look for the ripple effects, the impact, the consequences of how we speak. Words that demean will always disrupt your relationships. Well, I'm going to wrap up here. And as I said in the pastor's post that went out on Friday, here's how you can roll up your sleeves and make today's sermon very personal and very practical. We do not want to be hearers of the Word and leave this place and not change. Here's how you can make it very personal and very practical. Pick one person. You can't pick everybody. Pick one person that you interact with very regularly. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your friend. Maybe it's your coworker. Maybe it's a fellow church member. Pick one person. Because I promise you, the dynamic that is playing in your conversation with one person is the dynamic that is playing with other persons. So there is nothing lost by focusing on less. Pick one person and prayerfully reflect on the way that you speak to that one person by journaling your answers to four questions. If you got the pastor's post, you'll find the four questions there. Four questions that expose are foolish words. Question one, what are you facing? That's the circumstance. Your situational trials are always significant even if they do not determine your moral behavior. So what are you facing? What exactly is happening around you and was being said to you that brought pressure, temptation, trouble? Be very specific. Second question, how are you speaking in response to what you are facing? The Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, the works of the flesh, the things that come out of your mouth, are very evident. What foolish and rotten words came out of your mouth? Write it down. What exactly did you say foolishly 
to your neighbor. Be very specific. The Christian life is lived in specifics, not abstractions. Write it down. Name it. Question three, why? That's the million-dollar question. Why did you say what you said? What is it that you are living for? What is ruling your heart? The works of the flesh spring from the desires of the flesh. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What lies, what lusts hijacked your heart to drive and shape your rotten words? I wanted, you fill in the blank. I believe I needed, you fill in the blank. Be specific. And finally, question four, what were the consequences? Because we always reap what we sow. What were the results of defecting from God and talking to your neighbor this way? Be very specific. This is a hard sermon to preach. I'm very much in process along with you. Perhaps it's a hard sermon for you to hear. But why bother? Because change begins by waking up. Waking up to how we speak to one another. And change continues by owning up. I said that. Nobody made me do it. Out of my heart, my mouth spoke. And change continues by shifting weight, coming to Christ, and hearing what He says in the gospel. Christ became to us wisdom from God righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. All of those words that we've mentioned and all of those motivations of the heart, there's a gospel for that. There's pardon because of what Jesus did on Friday, and there's power because of what Jesus did on Sunday. We can change the way we speak by God's grace through our faith. We can do this one little bitty step at a time. Next week, it gets better. We leave the foolish words. We focus on the wise words. We get out of the vicious circle of folly, and we grow into the gracious upward circle of wisdom. Let's do it. But this week, come under the Lord's watchful eye. And let's get honest as we journal the answers to our questions. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you always cut with a purpose. Like a skillful surgeon, you wield the scalpel of Proverbs to cut in order that you might heal the cancer in us. Only through Jesus. So would you, would you work to slay our cravings? And would you work to grow holy spiritual desires that overflow in words that build up? We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.
I invite you to stand with me. As we conclude our worship, there is a fountain filled with blood. Let's believe it. Let's sing.
may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, may He equip you with everything good to do His will, to speak wisely, working in us what is pleasing in His sight through Jesus, to whom belongs glory forever and ever. Amen.